Thank you, Jen and the Jeanettes. <laughs> Very good. Always good. So today we're taking a look, might surprise you, at the story of Easter. <laughs> How about that? Um, by the way, uh, candy out there, what are your favorites? Just call it out. Jelly beans, chocolate, all right. Very good. All right, did you know that they were a top 10 least favorite candies? Anybody catch this in the register this morning? Important news in the Napa Valley Register today. So here we go, the number 10 least favorite candy, generic brand jelly beans, absolutely. I mean, we got jelly belly in the backyard. It's really good. Chocolate crosses, didn't know that was a thing, but guess so. Uh, chicks and rabbits marshmallow candy. No, no, okay. They do pretty good on s'mores, though. You ever had those as a s'more? Roast one of those bunnies? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Never tried it. Sounds, I think it's interesting. Uh, bunny corn, Easter candy corn. Eh, I don't know. Seems out of, that, that sounds poor taste, really. Uh, Peeps, Easter candy. Anybody like Peeps? Okay, well, made the list. All right, I don't know. Uh, Oreo cream eggs, never seen that. No? All right. Uh, Cheetos, Sweetos, Cinnamon Puffs. <laughs> That's just wrong. I got a problem with this one. Solid chocolate bunnies. What's wrong with solid chocolate bunnies? Germans should love that. It came from Germany, right? That's good stuff. They're the ones that lay the eggs everywhere. We know that. It's in the Bible, too. Well, it's not in the Bible. All right. Oh, this is nasty. Sour Patch Kids White Chocolate. That's <laughs> just wrong. And then uh, the number one least favorite, I can't believe this, is Cadbury Cream Eggs. I think they're fantastic. All right, so if you guys have those in your Easter basket today, just bring them back to the church. I'll take care of them for you. Baptize them before I eat them. All right, so today, Easter 2022, we need to talk about Bruno. We'll get to that in just a bit. Uh, this uh, is a reference to a song from the animated movie Encanto uh, that Disney came out with a year ago, and it actually is quite relevant uh, to everything we're talking about today. If you have a kid that's the age that watches Disney, you already know this song. Uh, I did not realize this until my kids told me. Lynn was, uh, my wife directs the children's ministry here, and uh, so they were doing songs, and this song came up. Every kid knew every word of the song. This is literally one of the most popular songs in the world <laughs> and has been for some time. Ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's written by uh, a, a great Broadway uh, lyricist and musician, uh, and you'll, you'll hear his influence in this for sure. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let's just get right into the story that we have today. This is from Luke's Gospel. But very early on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, uh, taking the spices they had prepared. Now, the reason the women went, uh, partly because that was probably their customary job, but the men were too afraid to leave the upper room. And the disciples and other followers uh, were too afraid uh, to show their face. The guy that they'd been following for three years, uh, who they adored, who they thought was God's answer uh, to the problems of the world, to give hope to the world, uh, just got um, tortured, put on a false trial, uh, a combination between religious authorities in Jerusalem and the Roman authorities who ruled all over that region, uh, and they killed him. And they thought for sure uh, they would be next. So they were hiding out, literally scared for their lives, and no dog on them. Uh, they had every right to be terrified and to protect their lives. But 
The women figured uh, we need to go prepare Jesus' body for burial. That would have been normal for, for that day and age. And so they went to the tomb where he was laid, and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. If you're new to the story, new to the traditions back then, now this particular tomb was a brand new tomb that had not been used. And it was a very wealthy man who donated it for this purpose. And so Jesus would have been laid inside a hillside, this sort of little tiny cave in the side of a hill, and a massive stone would have rolled over it that would have weighed several hundred pounds. So it's not like anybody could just come along and pull a lever and it's, it's done. This thing is huge and it's sealed up. And so the women that day uh, come and found the stone had been rolled away. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. I think this is the only time in history where men heard women said, say something and didn't believe it. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can any women imagine such a thing happening in history, right? So, <laughs> so they didn't believe it. What do you women, what do you silly women know, right? They just experienced this incredible thing, and they're not, they're not having it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. So I just want to say right up front, um, some of the key things that this day, that this day represents. What happened? Here we are. Um, one of the things that it says is death isn't the end. And for some of us here today, that, that may not seem like that big of a deal, that there was some kind of a belief that, in a, I mean, a really solid belief that there was life after death of some form or fashion. But back in Jesus' day, that was a little bit of a pipe dream from the country folk up where Jesus grew up and did most of his ministry. Uh, they were among the Pharisaic tradition up in Jesus' area. And they, um, more, much more so than who was ruling in Judaism in Jerusalem at that day, they believed that there was something post-mortem. And um, a lot of ideas floated around by that, uh, which had developed over a couple of centuries, but it was a new idea. It really was a new idea. And the people who were running uh, Judaism flat out didn't think there was life after death, period. It's like, you're dead, you're done. And so for them to experience this, to have this experience, and this, of course, wasn't the only one, uh, an experience of the resurrected Christ happened multiple times over a period of weeks for different people. So this isn't a one and done thing. This is something that was experienced by many, many people. And it was incredibly powerful because it was so unexpected. They'd hoped, they dreamed that it was true, but now they were seeing it. Jesus told them the kingdom of God is to come, but the kingdom of God is among you too. And I think one of the reasons Jesus was so confident of that is because he in his life experienced the presence of God in his life 
in his 30 years or so that he lived. So this wasn't a pipe dream for him. He knew it was real because it was real for him in the moment, and he had a hunch that it was coming from God's heart. The other cool thing to see here is that not only was death not the end of the story, uh, but Jesus was welcomed there. That's really significant. So if there's life after death, and if God inhabits that space in a particularly powerful way, and their Jesus, who they'd been following, who had just been killed uh, on false trials and so forth, if he's now welcomed there, what does that say about his authority or his validity uh, in the eyes of God? Well, it means that God apparently is cool with it. God apparently is endorsing this Jesus and everything that he taught. So it was a radical reshaping of the way that the disciples thought about themselves, about the cosmos, about life here, life now, and it validated to them that the way that Jesus was saying, the, the things that he had to teach, the model of his life, uh, everything was, was and is true. And that radically shifted things. Death from that point on lost its sting. It didn't have this same level of finality. Joy replaced their grief, and courage replaced their fear. They went from cowering in an upper room, not wanting to show their faces in public, to boldly proclaiming wherever they went that this had happened. And they modeled the life of Jesus. Uh, they did the things that Jesus did with reckless abandon and even faced their own death uh, with hope and courage because of what they had experienced with Jesus on this day. This is why Easter is, I think, the most important holiday uh, in the Christian calendar, as that was a game changer, where they started to have hope where there was no hope before. So we celebrate that. And for some of you today, man, this is, this is what you came for. You just needed that extra little goose to remind you, yep, there's more than flesh and blood. And the reason why you need to know that is because you've lost people perhaps that are very dear to you and you're missing them terribly. You ache at the memory of their loss. And it just gives your heart joy and some soothing calm to know that that's not the end of the story, uh, that there's something past the grave that we have hope for. And that is nothing small. That is a big, big deal. For some people uh, in history especially, maybe this isn't you today, uh, but for some people in history, literally that's all they had. Uh, because of their life experiences, uh, what was happening to them, I think about uh, people in slavery, uh, American slavery specifically, uh, who were taken from their homeland and thrown into a horrific environment. And for them, um, swing low, sweet chariot, that, that beautiful spiritual, that's all they had, but it was not nothing. It gave them power and hope that the God of the universe was good and would welcome them home. That is not a small thing. People who suffered in the Holocaust by the millions, uh, we get reports back from writings of people who were there that because of their orientation toward that, the hope that God would be with them to the very end uh, was enough to get them through. They couldn't rob hope from them. So our idea of hope after, after death is not a small, insignificant thing. It matters. It helps us get through the death of people we love, and it helps us go into our season of death uh, with a little more hope and a little more calm. And as a pastor, I have seen the radical difference between people who are filled with faith 
as they approach their death or loved one's death compared to those who have no idea. This is good news for sure. My mother, who is uh, 80, will be 87 years old in just another six weeks or so, um, she's all about this. Uh, she sent out an email to all the siblings, all of her children today, just celebrating, you know, this reality. And for her, she's lived her life. She knows she has. She did it well. And for her, she's, she's looking forward to that day. Uh, we had a woman in our church, uh, Helen Simpkins. Uh, she, <laughs> she was a crack up. She was one of the saints who'd been around here a long time. And she lived over 100 years, uh, I think 105 is uh, where she went. And we would Christmas carol to her every year. Um, and for about the last 10 years of her life, we'd go Christmas carol to her. And frankly, as soon as we'd show up at the door, she was the sweetest person you can imagine. But she would kind of frown when we came up uh, to the door. We weren't that bad, that, that's not the point. But for her, it was like, ah, I'm still here. <laughs> and every birthday she had, she did not rejoice, she cried. She was like, why am I still here? Have you forgotten about me, God? <laughs> and she was filled with life and faith and hope because she knew where she was going. And she lived the experience of God in her life and she knew she was gonna be welcomed by the presence of God and whatever is next. That is no insignificant thing. And if that's what you needed to hear today, that's a lot. And so God bless you. You can grab a donut on the way out. And we're glad you came today. But there is more. And the more that I want to talk about, and by the way, when we talk about afterlife, really we just have to use the word more. There are some attributes we can put to it, but to get too specific like streets of gold or mansions, that kind of misses the point. What we know is that there's more. The more is marked by the presence of God. It's love, it's peace, it's shalom, it's joy, it's all these wonderful qualities. Welcome to Jesus, which is why we believe those qualities exist there. It's the more that is worth hoping for. But there's also more worth hoping for today. And that has to do with this last thing. We don't have to wait for death to live again because some of us, in fact, I would say all of us at different points in our lives, we taste death regularly. Uh, perpetually. Sometimes it's because things that have been done to us, when somebody wrongs us in a particular way, and we, we feel a jab of death. Sometimes it's in a relationship, a meaningful relationship, and that person that we have love with cuts us in some way. Sometimes the relationship severs not to come back, and we taste a bit of death. Sometimes it's something that's happening in our body that we have no control over and it's just there and we don't know what to do with it. Sometimes it's stuff that happened to us when we were so little, but it still haunts us to this day. Sometimes it's things out of our control, like if you're Ukrainian and Russia decides to try to take over your country and now you're fleeing with your children and leaving your husband behind. Never sure if you're going to come back. Horrible things like that. Sometimes the economy tanks uh, because of all sorts of factors that are happening on a global level. Sometimes a pandemic comes and completely turns our world upside down. In fact, I would suggest, knowing that we're still in the pandemic, uh, that we still have a ways to go and we should be ready for more change because we're not out of it yet. And its effect on us is only beginning to be felt. If uh, you are related at all to anybody in the mental health field, uh, you know that uh, the calls and the need for appointment 
are off the charts and they are in every agency because what we have been through has been incredibly, incredibly stressful. It can feel like a taste of death. Well, Easter speaks to that too. Easter isn't just about what's going to happen when we die physically. It's about how do we deal with the challenges and the things which want to rob us of life right now. Reminds me of a story uh, from Colombia about the Madrigal family that's talked about in the animated film uh, Encanto. Now, this is a true story about this family that lost uh, a husband and a father in tragedy and magical powers were bestowed on the mother and her triplets, which were passed on to generations and each of them getting their own special gift from this magic of this candle. It's a true story. It's not true in the sense that, as far as I know, that this actually literally happened in Colombia, but it's true in what the story speaks about humanity and life. Because the abuela, uh, the woman who had the triplets and her family, uh, they're living in this beautiful magic-filled palace or whatever, um, casita is what they call it. It has a name and it it interacts with them in marvelous ways. Uh, But the abuela wants things to remain just perfect, just so. Everybody has to play their part. Madrigal, if you catch the, the joke, Uh, That's the Madrigal family, but the word Madrigal refers mostly to a Renaissance period musical group where you may have as many as 12 people singing together, all in a different part, the same song. And so you have the Madrigal family all singing the part that they're supposed to, but things start to catch up with the Madrigal family because there's not, it's not as perfect as it may seem. There's a lot of unhappiness happening beneath the surface in the characters of the show. There's one particular son named Bruno, one of the sons of the abuela, and his special magical power was prophecy. Not necessarily in the sense of being able to foretell the future, because true prophecy really is about being able to speak clearly the truth now as it needs to be heard. And Bruno spoke truth, and it was not welcome, which is why we have the song, We Don't Talk About Bruno. So let's hit it and enjoy the song. What if you didn't understand what he saw? Then you better figure it out because it was coming for you. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. Bruno says it looks like rain. Where's the heat? Doing so, he floods my brain. I will like to see umbrella. Yeah. <laughs> 
The main character that you saw there was Mirabelle, the one with the glasses. She's the only character in the film that has glasses. She's the only one that can see things right. She has no magical power, and yet it is her capacity to see and to bring people together and see them for what was going on that enabled healing to happen by the end of the movie. The abuela even recognized that she had demanded perfection on behalf of her entire family and would not tolerate anything less than that. And that kind of force on the family caused them to live in misery, which was just exactly counter to what she really wanted in her heart of hearts. By the end of the movie, she apologized, which is a miracle in and of itself, <laughs> that she recognized her own mistakes. I can relate to this some because I'm a pastor's kid. Uh, most pastor's kids uh, are hell raisers like you would not believe. My kids, gratefully, were not yet. And that's a, that's a good thing, and I'm happy about that. I was a little bit of a hellraiser. I had a couple different lives that I was leading, and it had to do with this perfection thing. Uh, while I was on uh, as the pastor's kid, either in the church or when my dad was a college president or when he was an executive minister in Michigan, uh, people knew who I was, and they expected a certain thing of me, and I knew how to play the part, and I did it very, very well. When I wasn't in that environment, I did whatever the heck I wanted to do, and I was a very normal human being uh, of teenage years, etc. You can fill in your own blanks uh, with what that might mean. Uh, but I did it fully, and part of it was because, and I didn't really ever talk to my parents about this because I knew that that was the environment. 
My parents were wonderful people, still are wonderful people. They were not judgmental people. They were not hard people. But even in a healthy family dynamic, that thing existed, which caused us not to talk about certain things. They weren't allowed. We weren't allowed to be talking about Bruno. Do you understand the reference now? Don't talk about Bruno means don't talk about reality. Don't talk about how life really is, about the areas of life that are not well, that are sick, that may be broken, may be hurting, may be dead. Because Easter speaks into that, we need to talk about Bruno and whatever that might be in your life. And I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it's there. It may be that the pain in your life that you've been dealing with for so long has caused you to deal with that pain in very unhealthy ways. At minimum, denial. Pain? What pain? I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Look at my face. I'm totally fine. I'm, getting, I'm living just fine. I'm totally fine, really. And we all know that's not true. Sometimes we deal with the pain in ways that become destructive. Uh, we have over 40 12-step groups that meet on our campus throughout the week, all representing ways to deal with pain in addiction, through substance, alcohol, drugs, you name it, more than that, all to take our attention away from what is hurting. Some people even do it and apparently healthy-ish ways uh, with exercise. Some people do it with workaholism. I'm not going to deal with my pain. I'm just going to pour myself into my work because that makes me feel good. It takes my attention off the thing that needs to be dealt with. We don't want to talk about Bruno. But Easter speaks to Bruno because the power that rose Christ from the grave is the power that can redeem the dead places in our life until we die. It's what Jesus came to talk about. He didn't come to give a three-step process. He didn't come preaching the Roman road so we'd go to heaven someday. That's religion talking. What Jesus came to do is to present the kingdom of God and say the kingdom of God is among you in all of its power, all that power that created the universe, that gives you life and breath. It is here now. It's not to, you don't have to wait. It's right for you now. Life exists now. You have a true self in you that longs to live. Embrace who you are. Allow God's Spirit to help you become that, to heal, to restore, to become who you're meant to be. This is a part of what the kingdom of God is all about, and it is the primary thing that Jesus came to speak. So who did he hang out with? He hung out with people that were broken, who had lots of Bruno moments in their life. Some of them didn't choose what was happening to them. A person gets a skin disorder. All of a sudden, they're called a leper, and they're forced to move out of their community in with a bunch of other people with leprosy, which was any kind of skin disorder. They're totally estranged. They have to ring a bell anytime somebody comes along. Nobody will come near them. Jesus went into the camp to be among them, to say, there is hope for you. You matter. There's love for you. God has not turned God's back on you. If it was uh, somebody that was paralyzed and everybody believed that it was some sin that the person caused, or maybe the parents, or maybe a, a person born blind and people naturally assumed back in antiquity uh, that it was because of some sin in the parents or grandparents or somewhere deep in the generation that caused this, Jesus goes along and restores sight, which clued everybody in that God was not so angry and that power was there to restore. Even when people made choices, that they didn't want to make, some forced on them for sure, like prostitutes. A uh, girl doesn't just wake up someday and say, hey, here's an idea. Let's try this out. No, a woman who's forced into prostitute for reasons that would make us shudder, 
And now that's their life. Jesus comes alongside women like that, people like that, and says, it's not over. You are not a pawn in this world. You are a deeply valued child of God. And you have power to live a new life. People who knew exactly what they were doing, like tax collectors who were basically going against their own country. They were sellouts to their own country and abusing their own countrymen to fill their own pockets. Jesus even went to them and said, you know, there's hope for you. There's power for you. There's change for you if you'll have it. This invitation was extended again and again and again to the chagrin of the people who were running the religion in Jerusalem, which is why they didn't like what he was doing. Every time a healing happened outside of the temple, everybody was like, hey, a healing just happened outside of the temple where God is supposed to be, but now it's happening out here because Jesus was right. The kingdom of God is everywhere. It's all over, accessible all the time. If you're experiencing a tinge of death in your life, if you'll be honest enough to talk about Bruno, <laughs> then you have hope because you're not done. God is with us now. God longs for us to be healed, restored, resurrected in real time. If you'll have it, it's possible for all of us. But it's hard to talk about Bruno. It's hard to be that honest with ourselves. Sometimes we don't have a choice because things have caught up with us. We're like, yeah. Oh. I got us. I have to look at this. This is a problem that's now become bigger than I can contain, and now I have to deal with this. I experienced a little bit, a little bit of that about a year ago, um, because of some of my activity here at the church. Um, when the pandemic hit, and then also my community involvement, I was absolutely fried one year ago. Right now, and I hit a wall, and I needed to take, I needed to cash in what vacation I had and just get away and rest because I was fried. And the first couple of weeks, I'd spent a lot of time with a therapist trying to understand how did I get to that point? And it was very helpful and um, it's an ongoing management thing uh, for me and my life and my personality type, but maintaining balance and all that. That was the main thing, I just got out of balance. And it caught up with me and I was exhausted. But one of the things that my counselor said uh, it was our very last session, <laughs> and I, I'll never forget him saying this because I could just tell he was saving it. This was like the last bullet in this chamber for me, right? And he was waiting for that last session to tell me. And just before he got off the phone, he was like, hey, Pete, I just want you to keep thinking about all the things that led to where you, where you were. I'm grateful for where you are, but just want you to be fully aware of all the dynamics that you chose to get to where you are. Because Pete, you chose it. For a while, it was happening to you and you were just surviving, but over time, you chose this. You chose this to remain a painful thing that was gonna eat your lunch. You chose it. Even when we deal with very difficult, painful things that are thrust upon us, initially there is this moment of survive, survive, survive. But in time, if we don't do anything uh, to change our circumstances, even if that's just changing our perspective, we become a part of our own pain. Does that make sense? It's hard to see and it's hard to own. But there comes a point where we need to own our little, even if it's the tiniest slice, we need to own part of the blame 
the part that we can fix, the part that the Spirit of God longs to help us facilitate, even in horrific things. Because I know what will happen. I know that in my midweek group, uh, the Yabbit family from Crosswalk is going to show up. You know the Abbots? Uh, they're, the, they're the folks that every time I make a comment, they say, yeah, but what about this, right? The Yabbots. I bet some of you have been a part of the Yabbot family uh, from time to time. And so when they hear me talk about, hey, there's really possibility and we got to own our stuff and all that, they would say, yeah, but what about American slavery? What about uh, the Holocaust camps? What about the refugees from Ukraine? What about the survivors of sexual uh, trauma as a child and many other aces on the list and all this stuff? What about them? And I would say, yes, all that stuff is awful. And it has happened to people, but at some point we have the capacity to decide how we want to interact with that. And are we doing what we can, especially in light of Easter and the invitation of God, which is inherent in the life and teaching of Jesus? Are we hearing the invitation? It doesn't have to remain this way. You don't have to stay a victim of it, even if you're still being victimized. The African slaves in our own country were able to write beautiful spirituals that gave them life and hope because they, they knew that the slave masters could not rob them of their dignity, even if they robbed them of their life. They had a passion and a purpose for living, even though they'd lived through hell. Does that make sense? We have the capacity. It doesn't tie a big red bow on. It doesn't make it all better, but it does make a difference. And some of you are facing issues that can be solved and healed and corrected. Some of you are going to be in the mess for the rest of your life. There's no way out of it either because of your life circumstances or a health issue or whatever, but how we choose to enter into it can be the difference between living death and living in the face of death. We are invited to live. Resurrection is about life overcoming death, even when death looms large. So my question for you today, really, is are you willing to talk about Bruno? Are you willing to just look at your life and ask yourself the question, God, and ask it in front of God in meditation. God, what, what is going on in me? Where, where are the broken spaces? What needs to be healed in me? Knowing that it's not going to be an overnight quick fix, but what needs to be healed? What needs to be restored? What needs to be resurrected so that I might actually live the fullest life that I'm capable of, sometimes in spite of my circumstances? Because that's power. That's power. It's what enabled the disciples when they were jailed and beaten. <laughs> it's what caused them to sing songs of praise to God from the pit of hell <laughs> in a jail cell because they knew there was a power that was greater than that which contained them. Some of these things on the screen are ways to actualize this. Practical things you can do which will help Easter eyes your life. First is obviously, I've been talking about this for a while, is to talk about Bruno, talk about the reality of your life. Just be honest with what's there and present it to God and just say, help me understand all the dynamics here. What's happening to me? What is my part in this that I might move forward toward health? Because God is always interested in shalom, our restoration, our well-being. And then believe that. Believe that God is really a part of this thing, that Easter isn't today. Easter's every day, if we'll have it. That power to resurrect, that power to heal, it's every day of our lives, if we'll have it. And then be open to being guided by Easter's way. What does that even look like? Well, 
Easter's way is going to look a whole lot like Jesus uh, because the way of Jesus was the one that led to, in his words, abundant life. Even though he suffered, he still lived fully. It's a paradox. It's a tension, and it's true. <laughs> he lived full, loving, uh, impactful life, even though it was hard. The hardness of life doesn't mean that it's not right. And so um, being guided by Easter's way, and here's one, just a tip to do it. Start every day with Easter. Start every day recognizing you're heading into a world that might not know anything about Easter, the power that there is a greater other that is in our midst, that is in us and around us, and choose to be guided by that every day of your life. And by the way, you can finish your day the same way, grateful for how you saw God show up in the world. There are a lot of people in our uh, present time, probably for the last mm, 400 years or so, that have had a hard time believing that God somehow is at work in our world and questions everything that anybody says about the miraculous. Is it possible that, that we're the fools, that we're so busy looking for God to break in the world and do something that we miss the millions of things that God is doing in our midst all the time? Is it possible that every time we see love overcome fear and rage and hatred that we're seeing the evidence of God? This is what makes creation continue to create. So you start every day uh, with Easter. Humbly learn uh, and live that way that Jesus taught, because in our tradition, uh, that's the way that leads to life. And what is that life? Well, Jesus learned about God. He was a continual learner throughout his life. His mind changed over the course of his life on some issues. And so that means that we're not one and done, but we can learn all, all throughout our lives. Jesus served everybody indiscriminately, even if it ticked people off. Uh, he loved people deeply, including his disciples. By the way, there's a story that shows up uh, after Easter some point where uh, Jesus loved the disciple Peter enough to talk Bruno with Peter and held a mirror to his face out of love, not to condemn him, but to restore him. That's the kind of loving deeply that Jesus did. Jesus also stood up for the mistreated. Uh, we kind of forget that in our individualistic society. We think that faith and spirituality is just about me. It's just about making sure I have inner peace, that my life is great. But that's not following Jesus fully because Jesus gave his life, his voice, his hands and his feet and his, his very being, his flesh for those who are being mistreated to say to the world, there's a problem here that we need to address. And I'm willing to put my own life on the line to say, we need to focus on this issue. And we've got a lot of challenges right here in Napa that need Jesus-type people to look around and say, That's, we can do better on this. We need to heal this thing up over here because uh, this isn't really working out for this group of people. And so how can we do that? Are we even asking that question as Jesus followers? What can we do with our, our voice, our hands, and our feet? And of course, Jesus spent his own time uh, fostering faith. That's really what my sabbatical is about uh, coming up. Uh, we've got amazing speakers coming in. You're going to love it. Uh, we've got uh, people ready to make things happen. We've got pastors on call in case something hits the fan. <laughs> It'll be okay. Uh, we've got meditations ready for you. I think it's going to be a great experience. And you as a congregation are going to go through some cool stuff too to help us think through just what Crosswalk can be uh, in the future. Uh, so it's going to be a very exciting time. But for me, it's that having time away uh, where I don't have the responsibilities of everything that this calls me to do just to go deep in my relationship with God and rest. 
so that I can come back and be a better pastor than I ever have been. That's what it's about. That's why Jesus went away at times right after he was baptized. What did he do? He went on a 40-day camping trip. So this is my 40-day camping trip. It's just a little longer than 40 days. So, And the final thing is, is to brunerize uh, your walk with God. It may seem like a strange thing to do, but you know, some, some traditions have you do this twice a day. Well, how about once a week? How about once a week you take a, an assessment of your faith and you just measure the vitality of your faith relationship with God? And if it kind of sucks, take a, take a good look at why and see if there's anything in your life that, that got it off track. Because my hunch is that most of the time, at least for me, most of the time when, it, when my faith is kind of a suck fest, <laughs> it's because I've misstepped somewhere, that I've neglected some things. I've neglected balance in my life. I've gotten off the way of Jesus, and it gets me into trouble every time. So these things, I think, are things that you can think about, integrate into your life, and actually know next week how you did. Sometimes I, I err too much on the side of just talking about things in here and in our minds and just sort of assume we'll all connect the dots. That's not always how it works. I do believe that we're transformed from the inside out, but sometimes we need some kind of a measurable thing to go after, way to integrate stuff, and this is it. Where do you need resurrection today? Where do you need Easter today? If it's just afterlife, just if it's afterlife and all that wonder and hope that it gives, then know that it's true. Know that it's there for you. It's filled with love. It's not going to go away. God will welcome you with open arms as he welcomed Jesus with open arms. If you ever fear uh, what that might be like and you're anxious about what might heaven be like, think of Jesus. Because Jesus is like this all the time with everybody. And if he was welcomed there, that means that welcome is going to be there for you too. But if you have darkness, if you have death in your own life right now, I hope you'll hear the invitation of Easter, that you don't have to stay there, that even if the not staying there just means a different perspective that allows you to walk with hope through despair, that is not nothing. In fact, it can be the very everything that you need to survive. Easter calls. Easter invites, will you accept the invitation to allow Easter to be your life? Let's pray together. So God, as we um, are still for a moment masking your spirit uh, to have a Bruno conversation with us, do not let us off the hook. Do not let us sit in denial anymore, but hold a mirror to our faces out of love, not of judgment. That's not who you are. You long to restore us in the very best of ways. And you see us with everything going on in our life and you love us. You love us. And so God help us, Feel your love so that we'll have the confidence to pull back the veil, to roll away the stone, to name the death that we've tasted, the fears that we have, the struggles that are prevailing in our lives, where we are hurting, 
where we are anxious. I pray, God, that your spirit come in and help. Pray that we'll welcome your presence in our lives, that the power that rose Christ from the grave can also help restore and heal us. You are a God of love. You're a God of healing and restoration. We're asking for your help. May it be so. And because we prayed to you today, because we've invested ourselves into you today, may we experience the new life that you invite us to live. To that end, God, we remember and pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, which is a model for how to enter life and to live in this world in a way that remains connected to you. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Apostle Paul, who himself was martyred because he was so convinced of the power of God in his life as he went around the world to proclaim his world as much as he could, he says this to you now from, from his experience and now one who sits in heaven awaiting our return. says, in all life brings, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May you experience Easter because you know your love. Thanks for coming. Hope to see you next week. Thank you.